They want me to change, they want me to change, but I ain't changing, nah. I remain a- And you are now tuned into another episode of Intellectually Petty Radio, brought to you by M3S3 Clothing, Men Make Moves and Suckers Stand Still, and as always, on the mighty, 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 mighty Nerd DJ's Radio Network. And, man, today we got another legend in the building. Um, trauma expert, Dr. Olivia West, shall be joining us to hopefully fix some of my past traumas and make me a better overall human being. <laughs> How you doing, Queen? I am doing good. I'm doing good. Let's get into it how are you i'm all right i'm doing good oh let me see what's your t-shirt say non-negotiable non-negotiables is my peace my respect my joys my dreams and my goals i like that where you get that from non-negotiables come on a a shameless plug is that yours or you bought that no this is not um shameless plug don't remember the lady's name but y'all check out Tiana Von Johnson and um, her rarity bags at the rarity, the rarity bag.com. If you're here in Atlanta, she's going to be in Atlanta fashion week, but I got this t-shirt from one of her vendors at one of her events. So <laughs> that's the best uh, I got. Shout out to that sister. <laughs> okay. So, um, Dr. O, why, what, what is it about trauma? Why, why trauma? You know, so um, I got into the trauma field, um, you know, basically because when I was getting my master's degree in clinical psychology, I seen how westernized um, psychology is. Now, we know through stigmatization, through generations and we've probably been you know you probably similar to me and may may or may not have been told how therapy is not for us is for them and that's because historically it has been built on the white cis heterosexual male you know complex and so therefore theoretical orientations and things like that are based in you know the white cis westernized male heterosexual male which oftentimes it does not apply to people uh, of color or trauma looks a lot different, you know, for people of color. When we look at trauma in the, you know, in the hierarchy of things, according to, you know, what it says in the um, DSM-5 or our diagnostic manual, if we're looking at that just at face value, then it would take a lot for individuals to um, maybe experience trauma. We look at that as big T trauma, trauma like war or rape or, you know, a car accident, things that, you know, me or you could look at and be like, oh, yeah, that's traumatic. Right. What is missed is on the other end of that spectrum. See, I view trauma on a spectrum. So on the other end of the spectrum, is what you know many people consider as little t trauma doesn't mean it is small trauma but it means that it's not as big as those things that we can you know that are more recognizable these catastrophic yes okay (laughs) 
I'm not that bright, so I, you know, I have to dumb things down for myself. <laughs> not a problem. I can get. I'm getting very passionate and get on into it. So, little T trauma. What's little T trauma? So little T trauma, which I was getting into, little T trauma is how I define it, is things that are, that, that uh, I call it more developmental trauma. So these okay. are things that have happened to us that impacted us in a traumatic way during our developmental stages. So things are, these are things that we may not um, view or we may negate as, as trauma or a traumatic event. So if we look at, um, you know, um, African-Americans, for example, where we, many of us may have grown up in a low socioeconomic um, a neighborhood, high crime, high violence, um, latchkey kid, one parent household, there may have been substance abuse um, in the household, there may have been domestic violence, there may have been um, someone, you know, incarcerated. It may, you may have um, a learning disability or ADHD or um, been bullied at school. All of these things can impact you in a very traumatic way. Mm-hmm. What um, an example that I use with my clients is if we think back and we trace back jobs to when you were, let's say, four or five years old, getting ready to start, you know, kindergarten, early childhood. Mm -hmm. And you um, look about, I would say you look about my age-ish. So I'm older than you. (laughs) You know, we used to get up for the Saturday morning cartoons. It's not like it is today where you got Nickelodeon and all these other cartoon networks are on 24 hours. I just don't understand that. But when I was awake, uh, young, we used to have to, we had two channels. I was the remote control. We had to turn one channel to you to get past the teens. <laughs> <laughs> you those yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember those days of bowl of cereal, watching Tom and Jerry <laughs> roll runners. Yes. Get up early and watching some My Little Pony and Thundercats and everything else. Oh, so. my God. Let's say <laughs> you're 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 four or five years old. It's mm-hmm. Saturday morning. You want to get up. You want to watch some cartoons. Mom and her dad is asleep, and so um, and you don't want to bother them. So you decide that you're going to go into the living room and turn on TV, watch some cartoons. You're going to make yourself some breakfast. You're going to make yourself some cereal. As a matter of fact, so as this little four year old boy, you go into the kitchen. You grab you a bowl. You grab you a spoon. You carry it, you put it on a table. You come back, you get the cereal. You get this big old huge box of cereal. You take the box of cereal, you open it up, you pour it into the bowl. You fill the bowl up completely to the brim because you're a four-year-old, and that's what four-year-olds do. Then you go back into the kitchen, and you open up the refrigerator. And you grab out this gallon of milk. And you grab this huge, heavy gallon of milk that you almost bigger than you and you take it and you pour it into your cereal and what happens it spills everywhere spills everywhere on table floor make it a huge mess at that time your mom comes downstairs oh and into the kitchen or dining room what does your mom say to you oh mom's just pissed <laughs> what are you doing <laughs> why do you make this mess <laughs> i told you not to go in the refrigerator is that just how your mom will say it? Uh, it's not. 
Like mom Yeah, so tell me how mom would say it. <laughs> what the hell are you doing? I told your ass not to go in the damn refrigerator. It's, it's exactly. Clean this damn mess up. Mm-hmm. Now go get this motherfucking paper towels before I get it switched. You want your ass. Right? Although I will say my mom's was not really big on, on, on spanking. Okay, good. But a lot of us there's words. So when we talk about, you know, spanking, whether it's go get a switch, go get a bell, you know, or what have you, what is that? The pure definition of trauma is death or great bodily harm to yourself or to a loved one. At four years old, five-year-old, six-year-old, when your parents say things like, I'm going to knock you into the middle of next week, you don't know that's not true. You don't have the wherewithal at that age to decipher that when mom say, I brought you in and this is where I'm going to take you out, that that is not the way that it processes to that four or five-year-old or that young child mm-hmm. is as trauma. That's a threat of great bodily harm or death. And so when we think about it, even when it goes into, you know, um, what are you doing? I told you to wait, you know, why you make this big old mess, get on my nerves, go get some paper towels, go get a towel, clean it up. Oh, what's your stupid ass? Whatever, you know, (laughs) is said is now we take that and as that four or five year old, how does they, how do they process that? I can't make any mistakes. Mm. I'm a fuck up. Now at that age, they're not probably using those words, but I'm a mess up. I can't do anything right. Maybe it's some um, internalized core beliefs of that I'm unlovable or I'm unlikable because my mom or dad is doing this to me. They must not love me. And I'm sure you we've all been through that phase. Nobody loves me. Hmm. When we were kids. I never Everybody that used way. me. I don't have no friends. All of these things can be are internalized and be combined to create our core beliefs, especially when they're reinforced. If we take that instance from your mom or a mom where you spill in the milk and now you feel like or internalized that I'm a mess up. Now you go to school and the first time, you know, you learn your letters and they give you write a D instead of a B and your teacher comes over and corrects you, what comes up for you? Devil raises his ugly head and says, see, I told you it was a mess up. Hmm. Throughout middle school, high school, life you you break up with your first girlfriend boyfriend whatever you know um you don't make the tryouts for a team what happens is that it reinforces see i told you see i told you see i told you and now here we are as adults and we're wondering why we're having trouble in our romantic relationships wondering why we're having trouble with uh parenting our children we're wondering why we're having trouble in um, our platonic or friendship uh, relationships we're wondering why we're having trouble at work we're wondering why we have been struggling with depression anxiety low self-esteem well it's because of these things that we've internalized from our developmental stages so so let me ask you this going back to that scenario Mm-hmm. What would be the proper way to discipline your child, but not hurt them long term? 
So the an, an alternative way mm-hmm. would be, you know, um, still having them clean up their mess. So let's say the parent came down and a parent seen this huge mess. And yes, they're fuming. But instead of yelling at their child or making threats to their child, they say, oh, my God, Jobs, what the heck were you doing? What are you doing? You was in here trying to make cereal? You made this huge mess. Let's go get some paper towels and help me clean it up. Hmm. I see that you was down here trying to, you know, you did a good job trying to make you some cereal. It's okay. You made a mistake. We all make mistakes. Let's clean it up. You know, it's now, interesting. That, that's the difference between parenting and grandparenting. Because I got yes. grandkids that I'll do exactly that too. With my kids, a little, I was a little more stern. It, exactly. And then, but we're not realizing now is how that's impacting them long term. So now here I am an adult and I cannot conceptualize why I can't achieve certain things or, you know, what's holding me back, why I can't start my own business that I've been having it written down for forever or why I can't do this or why I can't do that. Well, because what I believe in my core, no matter how much I try to deny it, which most of us, most of us do, we disassociate because nobody can really live in what they truly believe about themselves when it's these negative beliefs. No one wants to truly believe that I'm an effort. No one wants to truly believe that I'm a failure. No one wants to truly believe that I'm unlovable or I'm unlikable. So what we do is we try to, we, we fill our lives with, um, we fill that void with other things to fill that opposite. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm an F up, then guess what? I'm always going to overachieve to prove that I'm not an F up. I'm going to prove it to everybody. Even if I keep on effing up, guess what? I'm going to keep on trying to approve it. I'm unlovable. I'm going to find somebody who loves me. And this is the key point, especially a lot of times in a lot of relationships, is that when we are finding somebody just to love us, we miss and negate all of the red flags or we ignore all of the red flags. It don't matter if he beat my ass every single day. After he beat my ass, he picks me up, he gives me a hug and he tells me, baby, I'm sorry. I love you so much. And he goes, Hmm. oh, you love me. And guess what? That means that I do not have to focus on the fact that I truly believe that I'm unlovable. Wow. So, Divorce. Would, is divorce considered trauma? It can be. Absolutely. Because I look at that like a death, to be quite honest. That, that's it, the it death is. of a relationship. So, it is. So what a lot of people don't treat it like is that it is a loss. Divorce, uh, lose, job transitioning, losing a job, losing a friend, and you know, friendships breaking up. You know, even it doesn't have to be a divorce. It can be vacant, break up for a relationship. It can be empty nest syndrome. All of those are loss that, you know, we grieve and can be very, very, very traumatic for us. Just like a death of a person. You lose your mom, you lose your dad, you lose your child, you lose a best friend, you lose a sibling. That wow. That's a loss that you're not getting back. And so that's the same with 
divorce unless you're of the few who divorce and then get back together. <laughs> there are those few out there. <laughs> and and there are some people that divorce is a better a, a better relationship for the two individuals. You know, they still love each other. They're still really cool. They just shouldn't have never got married. But they could have a great relationship that's just not them being to, together as a couple. Well, absolutely. And because it, it also goes back to, you know, what I said in the beginning. Oftentimes when you are, you know, not a whole person and you have these negative core beliefs about you from unresolved childhood trauma that you've experienced, and now you're an adult and you don't have the tools to deal with them or to, you know, to, uh, you know, address them because you were never taught them. So the best thing that we have is to avoid what I say is like putting them in jars. I put all everything in a jar, like a little Mason, you know, a little Mason jar, Mason jars. They, they're the best. They keep all the pre preservatives fresh and everything. Nothing goes bad as well in a Mason jar. So I put all my ish in a Mason jar, put the lid on tight and put it in top of the cabinet. And I ain't going to deal with it. I'm going to deal with it until it all comes crashing down. Because I don't put too much shit on that shelf. It comes crashing down. And it breaks on me. And now I have all of this mess. Yeah. That I'm trying to pick up and to clean up. But going back and when we're thinking about even a divorce, the thing is, is going back to, like I said, those red flags. We're ignoring them. Because we're trying to fill that void and not have to face the fact that I truly believe. Now, we're talking about rational mind and irrational mind. Mm -hmm. Rational mind is that I know I'm lovable. I know my parents love me. I know my siblings love me. I know my kids love me. I know my spouse love me. I know my friends love me. I know that. That's logical mind. Mm -hmm. We're talking about illogical or emotional mind when I don't feel like it. And I'm in the down, the worst of the worst, where I'm saying nobody loves me. I'm here all alone. And so what do we do? We go and we try to fill that void yeah. with people who say, oh, I love you. But and we accept that and we dismiss all of the other red flags that we were not really compatible to begin with. So as we mature. And sometimes we may go through therapy or we may have other life experiences to where we're now exposed to either, you know, growing and loving ourselves more or, you know, what it looks like to be loved and appreciated or whatever. And we decide, you know, I ain't dealing with this. Because, again, it's that we go back to that law of attraction, karma, hurt people, hurt people. So naturally, you know, you when you're finding your mate, it is something about them that draws you to them or them to you. Hmm. So um, in 2020, mm -hmm. I, had, I had heart surgery. Okay. And I lost my mother while I was in the hospital. Wow. And that whole experience has still, like there's certain points. For one, I've, I, I still kind of blame myself for my mother passing. Um. And then there's a couple of points that just just still fuck with me mm -hmm. as far as the surgery. Um, the when, when I got into the operating room, it was like a weight crashed on me. 
Like mm-hmm. at that moment, I realized, mm-hmm. yo, I could die. Okay. And I remember telling the nurse, I was like, literally, I said, oh shit, this is for real. Mm-hmm. Like somehow this whole time, and I was in the hospital over a week. And this whole time, you know, I, I didn't really, I didn't think about it. You know, I was just kind of, kind of focused on, on, you know, my family. It was COVID, so I couldn't get any guests. Yeah. You know, um, you know so I just let my mind just focus on other shit until that mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. How, how, how do I deal with that trauma effectively? With or without therapy? Uh, preferably without therapy. Okay. No, and I ask because there is still, which I respect, there's still a huge stigmatization, you know, around mental health. And sometimes some people, they just want, you know, they want the skills, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. without having to come in to, you know, into therapy. Now, what I would say is you're doing good so far as to you are recognizing that it is trauma. Mm -hmm. You're recognizing that you're going into the hospital for heart surgery, that was a traumatic event, things that you've experienced. You know, even what people don't realize is that oftentimes, even when we're under an anesthesia, we're not completely out. And so there may be different things or different parts of the surgery and things like that, that we recognize or that we're hearing or that we're noticing that can be very traumatic, not only to us, Uh, mentally and emotionally, but to us physically, to our body and everything like that, to where it's still trapped in your body. That coupled with the fact that that's when your mom died. And so um, as a a child feeling, you know, that, 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 that sense of guilt of feeling that I was not there because I couldn't be there. I was in the hospital, Um, but I should have been there. Um that, you know, feeling guilty of maybe if I was there, then things would have been different. You know, that that kind of unknown uh, or thinking that if I was there, she wouldn't have died. You know, now we know that that may not be rational thinking, you know, but it's our emotional mind. And so that's what, you know, we we're, we're dealing with is that irrational, emotional mind and concept. So um, not only as a therapist, um, but also just as someone who has um, been in therapy and still in therapy myself Mm -hmm. um, after, you know, both my parents passed away after some uh, own personal traumas and things of that nature and trying to do it myself versus having you know, the support of someone else. There's things that, you know, I can reach out and I can, you know, teach you. So we can sit here and we can say, okay, the reason why you're still having these reoccurring thoughts and things like that is because this has been a traumatic event and it's impacted you traumatically. You can do things like what we may call the grounding techniques to basically um, help when you're having these thoughts and you're feeling overwhelmed and stressed You can ground yourself back to the present here and now you can um, we can teach you breathing techniques. All of these different things are basically to distract you Mm -hmm. from, you know, thinking about the trauma and different things of that nature. But it does not 
um, help with the healing process. Mm. So that's the benefit of therapy is that it helps with the healing process. Mm. My apologies. <laughs> so right. it, with the healing, it helps with the healing process. It helps to hold you accountable. It has someone there who can, you know, uh, you can talk with and dissect. So it's sort of like what I say is like mowing a lawn. When um, if you you know own a home or have a home or ever mow lawn when you was a kid. Um, and you think of these big weeds that kind of come up, the dandelions or whatever. And you can mow the lawn. You can get rid of all the weeds you have in your lawn looking beautiful for about a week or two. Yeah. Then what happens? They come back. They come back. And how do you stop a weed from coming back? Uh, what is it? Weed poisoning? Weed poisoning or you dig it up at the root. You got to go down there with your little shovel, your little yeah. hole, get, you know, on your hands and knees, get a little bit dirty. It may take some time, but you're going to have to dig it up at the root. Discovering the root and going back to the root cause of things is, you know, where you would get your healing. So we're looking at in regards to your mother's, you know, death. Well, what are some of the things that are coming up for you? Just for an example, as we said, you know, um, I should have been there, Yeah. you know, um, so then, it, you know, I could have saved her. If you're feeling those feelings of guilt and things like that, we might want to look at and trace back to where, well, where are they coming from? What is your birth order? order? Are you the oldest? Are you yeah. the youngest? Are you the only male child? What is, what is your birth, birth order? I'm the oldest. So you're the oldest. So as the oldest, I'm sure as growing up, there was a lot of different responsibilities put on you. Um, a lot of things that maybe your mom or your parents expected of you. And so all of these things created your core beliefs. Mm -hmm. I'm a man. I have to. I have to do this. So when now as an adult, when your mom passed away, those core beliefs and things that she's instilled are coming up. And now you're feeling bad and guilty because I'm the oldest. I was not there. I'm the male. I was supposed to take care of my mom. I did not. Had I did, she wouldn't be uh, be deceased right now. Now, we know that that's not true. But that's, again, it's coming from that emotional mind. But if we go back and doing, if we go back with you and I doing some work or you working with a trauma therapist, then we would trace back those thoughts of, well, where do you feel that you were, where did it first come from that you to have to take care of the family? Oh, when my mom was, when I was growing up, mom used to always tell me, hey, boy, you the oldest. You need to look out, show your siblings. Hey, boy, you the man of the house. Hey, you know, whatever the case may be. And so because of that, that instilled my core beliefs yeah. about myself, others, and the world around me. Yeah. Yeah. Um you know what I think? There, there was I can't remember the name of the book, but there was a book that they used to have back in the day for black people when they were traveling around the country. Mm, um, mm -hmm. they, they would have, you know, the safe green spaces. Book. The green book. They need a green book for practitioners. 
you know what? That is a good idea. Now, they do have similar things um, to where they have uh, platforms like Therapy for Black Girls, mm-hmm. Therapy for Black Men, Clinicians of Color. Um, all of those are, you know, um, various different platforms that you can go on and find therapists of color to go to. So I guess that would be similar to like a green book. Um, it's more so now really spreading the word about these things. In fact, even probably one of the largest marketing platforms that um, there is for mental health, which is psychology today, they even now have it to where you can filter by um, ethnicity. Mm-hmm. Now, excuse me, you cannot do the um, laws and discrimination laws and things like that. You cannot ask for per se the um, the identity of the therapist, but they can mark on there or you can search by um, the population that the therapist serves. So whether it's a, you know, they do they serve African-Americans, do they serve Asian-Americans or what have you. Now, the thing with psychology today that's different from therapy for black girls and things like that is that um, somebody can mark on there that they serve populations of color. But, but really don't. Serve it, don't mean that I am that. Right. Okay, I got you. See, and I wouldn't just, I, actually, I would not just do it just for psychology. Like, I, I can't find a black cardiologist. Mm. And in my city is the number one heart hospital on the planet. Wow. And I have, you know, I found one that is a, a not a staff physician, but a fellow. And that's the closest okay. I've, I've come so far. So I can't like make appointments to go see that guy. I have to wait. And if he decides to stay in this area after he becomes staff, yeah, then I can make appointments with him. But I would really like, like not just, you know, not just cardio, not just for me, but you know, there is a black uh, nephrologist here. Um, there's a black uh, neurologist here. These are people that I personally have met. Yeah, but, so anybody kind of like within that medical field, whether yes. it's a medical doctor, yes, a mental health doctor, yes, a nurse practitioner, yep, chiropractor, holistic medicine, acupuncturist, all all of these things. Yeah, yeah, okay. that's a big okay. reason why a lot of us don't go go to the doctor. Oh, absolutely. You know, we, absolutely. Don't, we don't feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. And I, and, I have been in situations where. I know that the, 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 their theoretical base seems sound, mm-hmm. but I just don't feel comfortable with that person. You know, and if you don't feel comfortable, especially with something as big as your heart or your kidneys or, you know, whatever else, you know, but if you don't feel comfortable with your practitioner, you, you might, you're not going to be as honest as you need to be. No, absolutely. Because you know, it's a lot of times it's that stigmatization and the judgment that comes behind it. Yeah. So we know that 
mortality rate is higher um, in um, women of color that are, you know, that when they're experiencing um, through labor and um, pregnancy and labor. If we think about that, then a lot of women, they choose to have a person of color as their OBGYN. Why? Because I feel safer that you're going to take me more care or more extra care. Now, when it comes to other, you know, diseases and things like that, what happens oftentimes is that, you know, that stereotype and we get afraid of fitting into that stereotype. Oh, well, if um, I'm honest with my doctor and I say that I smoke weed, then I'm going to fit into that stereotype of just another black person that smoke weed. Now, if I have a black doctor, then I might, it may stereotype me just as much, you know, or, you know, get on me just as much, but at least I'll feel comfortable with telling them. Why? Because I'm pretty sure they either smoked, they they got this currently smoked, they already smoked in their past, they know somebody that smoked, and they know, I'm sure, there's somebody in their family that has done a whole lot worse the marijuana, you know, so that judgment is not going to be there because overall the way that we've been shaped by society is that people of color, especially black people, we're dumb, stupid, ignorant, less than, and we're completely, we're, we're um, consistently trying to prove that or prove that we're not right. Even as a doctor, you know, I have to prove or feel like I have to prove that I'm worthy enough or smart enough. There's certain things that I won't do because I'm like, nah, they ain't going to be sitting up here talking about me on the stage and saying that I didn't, how she a doctor, she ain't a real doctor. You know, as we talked off camera, they ain't nobody going to be talking about me and say she ain't a real doctor because, you know, my edges <laughs> need to be retwisted. <laughs> Look, look at her. She can't. She's not a real legit doctor. She can't even afford to get it. Nah. But that's what we go through, you know. Um, no matter what your profession is, as I'm, I'm currently shameless plug in the process of writing um, my uh, my first book. It's called From Dyslexia to Doctorate. It tells not only my story about how, you know, I did not think I was smart enough for college because I had learning disabilities of dyslexia and dyscalculia. And then through the years, how I was able to, after a couple of different career changes, I went back into, I went, I went to college and ended up staying all the way through to getting my doctorate degree. And so because of that, you know, I still have oftentimes have a complex of, you know, my dyslexia, feeling stupid, being less than others who may think I'm stupid. So I'm, I'm, I'm very hypervigilant, especially when it comes to other people like this and they more like this, you know, am I, am I feeling, am I stupid? You know, yes, I got a doc, I'm a doctor. I got this whole PhD, but are they going to belittle me, degrade me and try to um, devalue me? So you still have a, like that still bothers you? Oh, absolutely. 
Oh my! Let me. Ask, so, at what point did they did you find out that you had dys dyslexia, and what's dyscalculia? So, um, I recall that uh, finding out I had dyslexia in kindergarten, like at four years old. That's um, beautiful. Like, well, that's that's unusual that 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 one of us they would go that route to even look. Well, it's beautiful if it's something that's done about it. So shout out to my kindergarten teacher. Never forget a Miss Fox at Martin Luther King Elementary School in Oakland, California. Shout out. Child Miss Fox. <laughs> uh, she's still alive. Or her descendants, because she was old back then. So. <laughs> well, hopefully you're still around, Miss Fox. <laughs> yeah, she was a, I, I never forget her, but, and I've looked for her many a times, but I'm thinking Miss Fox from Martha well, King Elementary in Oakland is not around anymore. But she played a pivotal part in my, you know, in my life. And I remember, you know, first being diagnosed with it, you know, through, you know, through her and things of that nature. But because at the time there was not um, opportunities or access to help with that in the public school system, didn't get help. Again, that's a them. That's the white folks. That's those who can afford it. Yeah. You know, so I struggled with dyslexia and dyscalculia my entire um, academic career. So to answer your question in regards to what dyscalculia is, so we know that dyslexia is when, you know, you process words and letters, you know, out of order or backwards. Yeah. It's the same thing. Dyscalculia is the same thing with numbers. So when you, you know, when you think of it, I could not really achieve in reading, writing, comprehension, or in math. I will always consistently get the answer wrong. Why? Because it's supposed to be a two and not a five. Or, you know, I wrote a two, but I read a five because I'm looking at it, you know, backwards. Or instead of it saying 38, it says 83. One thing I would say is that uh, you said you've been here to Atlanta before, so you may know that one of their interstates here is 285, and it goes in a circle. When I first moved here, I was consistently lost trying to find my exit so that I would have the GPS, you know, or the printouts. It was before, you know, we had the regular GPS. I said, as it here, no, we had the printouts, and I had to be looking at the Yahoo printouts and things like that. <laughs> And it might say exit 283, and I'm I'm getting off or looking for exit 238. Mm. And I'm like, there is no exit to it. So I'm riding around the freeway in circles <laughs> looking for an exit that's not there because of, you know, my dyscalculia. Or getting off at the wrong exit because of my dyscalculia and I read something backwards or out of order. And so... Um, you know, as I said, I struggled with that throughout, you know, elementary, middle, high school, even throughout college. So my story is, is that um, I never felt smart enough for school. So, you know, um, I never felt smart enough for college. So when I graduated, I knew I wanted to get out of my, you know, life 
situation with lower socioeconomic status, substance abuse, poverty, um, mental illness, physical illness, all of those things that, you know, often keep us captive in the hood, I wanted to escape from. But I wasn't smart enough to go to college. So I didn't have any other choice, really, for me, my thought, but, but was to go into the military. So I went into the military, stayed in there for a few years, got out um, unintentionally. Then I went into law enforcement, did law enforcement for a few years. Um, and I was stationed in, well, I was living in um, uh, Tampa Bay and working for Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department. And my sister went to school, went to Job Corps out here, I think in like Augusta. And after she completed Job Corps, well, around the time she was ending Job Corps, she found out she was pregnant and she was moving to Atlanta. So she said, why don't you move out here to Atlanta, you know, with me to help me raise our kids together? I said, okay. Moved out here to Atlanta with the thought of being transferred from Hillsborough County to APD. I had already did the complete transfer. And then maybe like a couple of days before I was starting the academy, the transfer academy, they had said that they put a two-year hiring freeze on, on all new hires, all new transfers. So what the heck am I going to do? So I went into private security and things like that. And I had a one of my employees who was in school and he will always ask me, why don't you go back to college? Why don't you go back to school? Why don't you go? And I'm like, eh, nah, nah, nah. I never told him that the true reason was because I never felt smart enough, mm. but I didn't. And that's what kept me out of going until one day I got tired of him nagging me. It was one of those commercials. I'm sure you guys probably had it in Cleveland for like a community college or a junior college type of thing. Calling here today for this nursing <laughs> assistant program. Only six weeks and you'll have your degree in criminal justice. One of those. So I called and I didn't think I was going to get in. I called just to prove him wrong so that my colleague can stop asking me about it. And long story short, I passed the entrance exam. I got in. I continued throughout you know, each course, uh, each semester, each year, just going one day at a time, one assignment at a time. And I finished my associate's degree in criminal justice. Then I went on to get my bachelor's degree in psychology and just kept on going and went and got my master's in criminal psych, uh, uh, criminal, uh, clinical psychology. And then on to get my doctorate degree in international psychology. But you know, this is going back to is that in the beginning, you know, and even still, I struggle with feeling smart enough. I did not realize, well, I struggled with having dyslexia and dyscalculia all the way until my second year of my master's degree. I didn't get any, you know, accommodations or assistance or anything like that because I didn't know what existed. I just all the way through. That is crazy. So how, because I'm sitting here, I'm thinking like, okay, I know cops got to take some type of test. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you pass that? And you work hard. I had to learn what um, worked best for me and how I study and how I learn. Now, I ain't going to say it was easy. It was several of them exams as a, you know, law enforcement that will eat first of all several exams as a 
in the Navy <laughs> that exactly. I had, that I had to, you know, retake again before I can graduate um, boot camp. There was when I became into law enforcement, there was several, you know, exams that I had to take, you know, written exams that I had to take over in law enforcement. The, the beauty of it is that um, because of my dyslexia and dyscalculia, I'm more of a logical person. And I'm more of a hands-on person. So I would always pass the physical exams. I ran track. I was always, you know, athletic, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So when it came to the physical, passing the physical exams, PT, I was always, you know, top of my class. Um, when it came to, you know, demonstrating anything, whether it was a takedown or you know, having to run into a burning building, whatever the case may be, I was always top with that. What I struggled with was the, you know, the academic, the, the written portion mm-hmm. of the academics. And so I never forget when I was in my master's degree program, as I said, I didn't have any um, support or help the entire time um, until my second year of my master's degree program. And part of that is because you learn how to how you learn you learn what works best for you my study habits and different things like that and i recall um i was in a statistics class and i was struggling because this class um attacked both of my dyslexia and my dyscalculia yeah statistics you have to write reports but you also have to deal with numbers the numbers aren't accurate, then everything the re- else. The re- yeah, the reporter ain't going to be accurate. And so, yes, absolutely. So I was almost just about failing that class. And this was the first class I had ever failed um, since being in, you know, um, in college. And I was, you know, just distraught, you know, feeling like, you know, I'm not smart enough again. I'm a failure. See, this is why and all those different things. And I remember this uh, one of my classmates she used to always seem to leave out of the class whenever it was time to do a test. Mm-hmm. I remember I seen her in the bathroom one day, and this was a pivotal moment for me. I saw her in the ladies' room. She came in. I'm at the sink washing my hands. And then so she comes out the stall, and I'm still standing at the sink, and I ask her. I say, I look over her at her, and she's a white Jewish woman with, you know, beautiful, curly, reddish-brown hair. I never forget, you know, who she was. I look over at her and I'm like, oh, matter of factly with an attitude because I'm already, you know, I'm struggling the class and, you know, and everything. And I got so I got a little bit of attitude because I'm, I'm stressed. And I looked over at her and I'm like, why do you always whenever we take a test or quiz or something, you always leave the class. I'm thinking is on some white privilege stuff. Like, you know, why you always get to lead the class, white girl? You know, I'm up here and I'm struggling and I got to stay in here. And, but no, but she says it so matter of factly. She looks at me and she's like, oh, because I got dyslexia. And I look at her and I'm like, what? She's like, yeah, I have dyslexia. And because I have dyslexia, I get special accommodations. I'm like, special accommodations? Like, what? She said, oh, I get to go into a separate room. I get extended, I get time and a half to do my exam. Mm. I get all of these, you know, accommodations. And I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? So a couple of things I learned, not only was this a white woman who was not afraid 
to tell or to say that she had dyslexia, something I allowed to hinder me all my life. I was ashamed of. I didn't want to be known again as that just another dumb black yeah. person and so yeah. forth. That's one of the reasons why I never got help for it. I never told anybody once I was of age and able to get help because I was it was a you know it's a point of shame and contention, less than stupid whatever else. And so to see that here it is what we hold oftentimes on this hierarchy and the you know in our world this this white man this white woman this white person to matter of factly say that yeah I ha- not only do I have this learning disability same as yours. I get accommodations for it. So it helped me in a manner to be able to feel that or check my own my own core beliefs that I'm not dumb. I'm not stupid. I'm not all of these things that has been weighing on me for so long. So I kid you not, very next day, maybe even that same day, I went down. I'm like, um, I have dyslexia too. Can I get some accommodations? What accommodations can I get? <laughs> and I kid you not, I passed that statistics class. I tell you that, and I passed through everything from to finish the rest of my the last year of my master's degree, and all the way through my doctorate degree, because I then got time and a half extended time to do the, and it wasn't penalized against me. But if you don't know these things, which yeah. is my job as well, is to share these things to the community, things that I've learned. I want to be able to share because a lot of times it's a lot. And that we was talking, I had a client yesterday who I was speaking to and she is a Asian female and, um, and she's from China. Um, and she has a, um, a, a family member who she started a business with. Mm-hmm. Now she married a white male and she is very super smart, college educated, very intellectual. And her husband, let's just say he's, he's not. He didn't go to college or you know anything of that that nature. He does he does more blue collar work, where she always worked in like fundraising, and you know she's lived in New York and worked her way up and all these kind of things. So fast forward to when. She started this business with her family member. Both her and her husband worked at this business. And the owner, who was her family member um, or co-owner, said that they wanted her husband to be the face of the company. So we thought about that and we said, well, we know or you know why they want him to be the face behind yeah. behind the Asian represented company. It doesn't matter if he was a janitor. Yeah. I'm going to look janitor, put a suit, nice shirt on him and say, here, be the face of our company. If he was white, a white male, because that's what's going to bring in the funding. That's what's going to bring in the support. Yeah. It's a sad reality in our society, but it's absolute truth. And and, uh, unfortunately, it's a good business move on their part. Absolutely. You know, um, man, this has been interesting, though. Uh, wow. So if, if people want to get in contact with you, they, if, if they want to use your services, more importantly, how do they go about finding you? 
So um, you can find me at Dr. Olivia West on all social media platforms. Every Thursday at eight o'clock, I have a, my, my, my podcast, Dr. O After Dark, where we are keeping it real, raw and relevant as we discuss how trauma impacts us and our community on a daily, you know, on a daily basis. So you can always come in and tune in to Dr. O After Dark. Um, you can email me at Dr. That's D-R, Olivia West, uh, or excuse me, that's Olivia at DROliviaWest.com. Um, if you want to um, seek out any of our mental health services at my organization that I am the founder and clinical director of, uh, which is Out of the Box Counseling, Coaching, and Consulting, we have about 24 clinicians that work under us. You can call us directly here at 404-900-9583, or you can email me directly at Olivia at out of the box C C C. So that's three C's for counseling, coaching, and consulting. Again, that's Olivia at out of the box C C C dot com. Yo, you got 24 people that work under me. Yes. I have 24 clinicians that work under me. Absolutely. Yo, that's so dope. If nobody has told you today, I'm absolutely proud of you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And I can't wait to come back again because we can get into some, some, some. Oh, my God. Like, yeah, we, we definitely are. Like a lot of fun. And I really like having fun and but bringing it to the, you know, bringing in that mental health and intellectual aspect of it. Talking about, you know, hot topics, people in it. I mean. We all know about the, the the Kanye West and his mental health and um, what's his name with all them kids? Uh, I know it's a lot of them, but um, Nick Cannon, Nick Nick Cannon and all his kids and all their mamas and all that. And so what I like to do is look at things, you know, and say, okay, what is how did this person get here? To be able to bring it to a humanistic point for everyone. We may not be celebrities, you know, we may not be well known and famous, but I guarantee the same stuff that they're going through, Tyrese and everybody else. Yo, your man's be out here lying too. Um, Ty- Tyrese, you gotta stop it, bro. Like, look, man, I've, I've been in the medical field for three decades plus, and for you to blame. Uh, 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 a psychiatric med for this meltdown that you had for months. Stop it, man. I was scratching my head because when I seen that, I was like, uh, what's that? They have him. I'm like, nigga, please. That's what I said. Literally. Are you fucking kidding me, man? Stop it. Like, you just, you know, help and make you better not call you to go into some, unless he was taking it with alcohol or some other drug. I mean, not to say that there are side effects. I don't want to dismiss oh, yeah, that aspect. But my man made it seem like he took a pill, and a month later, he's still tripping. No, bro, you just nuts. Something yeah, I don't know the whole thing, you know, behind it. I do know, I did watch, I think, the one with the Breakfast Club when they were trying to... That's exactly what I'm talking about, you know, yes. ...things or whatever, and so my thought uh, from what... I was hearing was when he was saying that he disrespected his wife and just said a whole lot about the horrible things when he was under this. Med- the thing is, is that we still, regardless, medication, mental health, 
we still have control over our own selves, our own minds, and our own actions. So anything you want to do or anything you do or you say is because you want it to. Yo, your man's girlfriend got on the internet and told the whole world, I really wanted your boy. And you still with her. And I'm usually not a messy type of individual, at least not a not on my well, Is that his new lady? Yes. This in Instagram model. I don't even know who it is because I know he was he goes through women like <laughs> I changed my panties. <laughs> I mean <laughs> he was married and going through this divorce. And then next thing I know, I was watching something of his, like some it popped up the other day and he, he was showing off this a new war that he got or whatever and his mantle on his fireplace and he's like oh yeah that's my baby i'm like when did you get a new you got a new baby with pictures several pictures on your mantle plate already it's like he falls in love in 12 minutes tyrese which is that that is that is trauma right there it is tyrese black tie my baby from coca-cola bald head sexy chocolate and a beautiful smile i love you to death Baby, I'm telling you, there's some things that need to be unpacked and dissected. Come hit up Dr. O, Dr. Olivia West on all my platforms. I even give you my personal number. Ooh, well, <laughs> now you might be running away because your ex-wife was a therapist, and he may be like, "I don't know about that therapy." But no, seriously, when I hear that, it tells, and when I look at the patterns, just even from his first marriage and his mm-hmm. first daughter and all the other and then the psychological breakdown he was having even after all the nonsense from his first child it goes and it says it's something deeper there it's more there and what happens oftentimes is that we hold people on a pedestal because we see where they're at with their accomplishments where they're at now and where they're at with their success we don't know all of the trauma and all the history that, that happened before we knew them. I think Tyrese started out when he was 15 years old in the music industry. We don't know how the traumatic experiences he's experienced from the music and arts industry. And we definitely don't know before that. I know that I never taught hear him talking about his dad and all about his, you know, mom. So we can assume that he's, I can assume that he's from a single parent household. Hmm. And when we think about that, then we think about, okay, well, if your dad was never a part of your life, then there is a void there. There is, you know, potentially negative thoughts of what's wrong with me. Why is my dad never wanted to be a part, you know, of my life? I'm unlovable. Now, rational mind, 40 plus, 50 plus, 30 plus, whatever it is, will say that I know my it didn't have nothing to do with me. I know that my dad was a deadbeat. Or I know that, you know, my mom and my dad divorced or whatever because of their issues or whatever was going on with them. Or I know that, you know, my mom decided to leave, you know, my dad and it wasn't my fault. I know all of those things. That's that irrational mind. Mm -hmm. But that emotional mind, that irrational mind, what it comes in, what it says is that it questions, am I lovable? Hmm. Am I likable? And when you're feeling your worst of your worst, like something comes and hits you at it and it triggers you, 
like what we've seen with Tyrese and his kids, whether it's through the courts or whatever, that's a trigger. And it triggers back to him. See, I told you. Yeah. All your success, you still ain't about shit. I don't All make it no better either. Day, you're still unlovable. All of this, all of that, you still tainted. And so that leads him to go out and continue to find voice to feel that. Yeah. And I, I am absolutely part of the problem because I I, I I talk about him. And I should. <laughs> I should be more empathetic. Um, I, it's hard, though. <laughs> well, we can all, I believe we're all guilty of that at some point of being a part of the problem, you know, adding to the problem, saying our, you know, whatever the case may be. But just as the old saying goes, you're pointing one finger at, out at them. You have three more pointing back at yourself. Now, as a person in the entertainment field, I believe that's part of your job. If you, if you didn't talk about hot topics, if you did, but it was all stuffy, and you're like, "Oh, well, I have kind of, you know compassion." Nobody talk about uh, nobody talk about Tyrese or anything else like that. You're not gonna get your views, your ratings, your you know your livelihood. You know, no. So it has to be, you know, talked about. And unfortunately, because you are in, you're a celebrity. You're in a spotlight. Who's a celebrity? No, him, Tyrese. Oh, I'm like, I'm no celebrity. I mean, you you a celebrity. You got the intellectual petty going on. You a celebrity. (laughs) But but no, I I seen I done seen all the people you got on here working with names like Drake and uh uh, not 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 Drake Doctor big names in my you know, Tupac, Dr. Dre, all of them. I'm like, oh Uh, Yeah, hey, Dre. Yeah, if I had Dr. Dre out here, uh, no, no, no. I just like having good conversations with dope people. You know, at at some point, you know, I've never really been big, and that's part of my problem. I I just it's I just don't want to build anything on tearing people down. Exactly, and but that is so much of the world. Look, look at Tasha K and Cardi B. You know, there's beef they got going on. Yeah, but they, have, I ain't trying but, to have all that. So if you listen to Cardi B, she's not happy with that shit. She isn't. But who would be? But I mean, because if people think that celebrities or people treat celebrities like they're not human. Yeah. Yeah. They can and take right. anything. I can talk about them. I can say this. I can say that. And they're just supposed to take it. Not that they have the same traumatic experiences as us. Not to, if you even look at Cardi B's life style. Now, now she made to a good level of success, financial success. Yeah. But if you live in a life to where you had to become a stripper to take care of you and your family as a teenager. Would you not think that there was some trauma experience there? And then basically, you're still doing it. And we hold them onto a pedestal. Yeah, you're just getting the bigger but because bag. Because they don't, we, it's the saying, that when you know better, you do better. 
But no, this is the stuff that pays me. So I'm going to still talk about my wet ass pussy. I'm going to still have my ass all out, even though I don't need to do any of that. But that's what, you know, how I got here, my claim to fame, and that's what pays me. Now, I love me some Cardi B. Nothing, nobody can tell me about Cardi B. And I'll tell you the reason why. It's because she, I can say that out of everybody who talking all this stuff, she gives back. Yeah. She gives back and she does yeah. not have to. I know living here in Atlanta and she lives in Atlanta now with, you know, her husband and shout out to him being from, you know, my county, Gwinnett County, hey, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so they live here now and she gives back. My daughter was um, in a a frequent children's hospital. Mm -hmm. And the most pivotal, my daughter's just turned 11, the most pivotal moment for her was when she met Cardi B. Now, my daughter only knows, my daughter don't even know Cardi B. She knows kids about Cardi B. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so she knows all the kids bop versions of her song and yeah, but so she loves her to death like it, now WAP is not a kid there's no kids bop version of WAP no, <laughs> I hope not <laughs> <laughs> they'll be like get this wet old pizza yes cheesy and saucy get this wet old pizza <laughs> My daughter will be back there like wet old pizza. Wet I'm like, what is softy? What 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 is yeah, no, we're oh not no, we're not doing no wet old pizza. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I gotta shout out your assistant too. Yes. Um, you're phenomenal. phenomenal. Oh, thank you. Very, very helpful, very understanding. Um yeah, because I did have to, for those of you who don't know, I had to reschedule. Um, so I had some shit going on personally. Uh, but, man, it's just like, I understand. Let's make yes. it happen. You know, well, so. We could talk offline about the shit you had going on per- personally. You know, I know you had to reschedule. And I wanted to check in and make sure you were okay. Oh, well, I didn't die. I had to go to the hospital. I um, mean, I, I mean, I hope you didn't die. Then that means I'll be talking to. Yeah, this would be odd. This would be uh, weird. Something, you know, Although, I mean, quite lit. Like, if I got to die and I can still do this, I'm cool. Let you me know. tell you, if, if, if you were I would be pulling out my hoodoo cards like, uh-uh. <laughs> Past, <laughs> present, future, what is going on here? Let me give you some lottery numbers. You know, I, you I got know, the hookup now. Ancestors come back. You know, what, is the, what, what uh number in the alphabet is J-O-B? As they, uh, uh, oh, man. because that's a, that's the lottery numbers I'm gonna play. I swear that that, that was that was Me my too. mother. Like everything is in it's in the book. That's a, hold on. You had a dream about leather. Oh, I got a number for that. Hold on. Oh my God, bless her soul. But no, you know, like uh, after you, after you 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 know you have have heart surgery, it's always something. Or heart. Oh my goodness, heart surgery. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, you know, so that that you know, I I, I was uh 
I was having some issues, and I just wanted to make sure it wasn't, you know, like, related to my heart. So, eh, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. But Okay, well, good. I'm glad to, it wasn't as bad as you thought it was going to be. Yeah, pretty much, like, once or twice a year, I end up in the hospital. Uh, they run tests and do all of this and tell me I'm trash as an individual. <laughs> I can eat better and I'm too fat. Yeah. Um, you know, so I'm trying. I, I you know, I, I would like to be around for a long time. So completely understood. Yeah. So you gotta take care of yourself. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. we can't be having them scares. We can't be having them scares. You shit. <laughs> that's okay. You too young. You can't be having them scares. Oh my God, Lord. I, that's that's what they be saying when I'm in the hospital. Oh, you you, you sure are young. That's not helping. <laughs> You're making me feel worse. Like, bro, I know I shouldn't be having this shit happen to me. Exactly. Like, it's too late now. I can't undo it. I remember when I got diagnosed with um, arthritis in my 30s. Mm. I was like, um, you mean like the stuff that my grandmother has? Like the old people? Do? <laughs> what is, like, what are you talking about? I got arthritis, the degenerative arthritis in my back. Are you, excuse me? Ooh. That's got to be painful. It, it is. It's horrible. It, you know, it's horrible. I'm like, jeez. Can I at least get to 50, 60? <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know what? At this point, though, you know, the I got, you know, all my kids are grown. I got grandkids. So it's scary, but I'm also, man, I, I, I'm just so blessed. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm not scared for my daughter's lives without me. You know they'll be fine. They're they're great adults, great people. I like them. You know, so they'll be fine. You know, it'll suck, but they'll you be fine. Gonna, stop talking like you're going somewhere soon. I, I, hey, every day is a blessing. I hear that. You know, um, and I'm sorry. I know I don't went over time. I, no, I this is a good conversation. This is I would, I would love the opportunity to be back. You know, this is oh, as I said. <laughs> Have the assistant reach out to my people. My people. I sure will because when I was sitting here, I was like intellectually petty. Oh yeah, you, you gotta you know stay tuned for Doctor O after dark because we, we are professionally petty. Maybe that's why I need to change my title to professionally petty. I need to be. I need to come get on Doctor O after dark. Absolutely. So Ty will reach out to you. Yeah. And have you come on, you know, get you lined up to come on as a guest. You know, it's, you know, it's mutual. Yes, I love to have you as a guest. Yeah, I seen that. I was like, oh, that looks lit. (laughs) You know, I like that. That, that, I could, I could do the after dark. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I'll be sitting on the other side of my office, not here in the doctor chair looking all professional and stuff, you know. Although the little candy thing behind you, I need one of those. Oh, my God, that's so dope. (laughs) Oh, my God. My That's, jelly bean dispenser. <laughs> oh my goodness! Only I think I put some jolly. I'll make sure you get one. I'll put some jolly ranchers in that boy. Jolly, <laughs> I don't know. Now this one is actually a bank, so you're gonna have to, you know, it keeps your cravings down because it, you oh, actually got to put, gotta a put money in there. in there. Ooh, I need the freebie. I don't shit. The candy <laughs> well, is see, enough. The freebie, see the freebies you get it just from. Uh, you, oh. know, you the, you know, you the, you the boss. Yeah. You just take that off the top. You know, I'm the top. Everybody else is coming in there. The grandkids, the kids that's talking about they want something. You got to give me a penny. You got to give mm. me. A, I don't even accept penny. You got to give me a quarter, a dime, a nickel, something. Yeah, inflation is, is pennies don't even exist. 
Not any, not any. Put this right here. You got a nice little Uh oh. I, I ain't doing shit for no penny. No, you ain't get no candy. <laughs> These jelly beans in here. See when you're doing good, you put that in there. And I'm gonna give you a nice little reward. <laughs> for 10 cents, for 10 cents, I got two jelly beans. I'm not mad at that, though. I'll take two <laughs> jelly beans for a dime. Inflation. <laughs> but, but, well, anyway, I'm going to let you go. Enjoy your day. Um, it's, this has been an honor and a privilege, and I, and I thank you for for stopping by. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor and a privilege as well. And I'll throw a couple clips out there, just, you know, okay. of, of, of your greatness. Let the people know. <laughs> I'll be looking for him. I'm going to have to use that Tyrese one. Maybe he'll maybe he'll give you a call. <laughs> yes, tag him. Be like, shout out. <laughs> Absolutely. Shout out to my boy Tyrese. You know, Black Tie, where you at? Black <laughs> anyway. Tie, where you at? Come on now. Anyway, <laughs> thank you again, um, and, and, and shout out to your family uh, and, and your assistant. Um, tell them if they need anything, you know, hit me up. All right, Dre, all y'all, Tupac come from the grave. Dre, you hit me up. You know, I can watch y'all yeah, out. Yeah, right. My broke ass. <laughs> Tupac wouldn't be on my show, although that would be dope. Rest of, he's somewhere in Cuba. We gonna, we gonna claim it. Yeah, that I man's still somewhere. I said the Dominican Republic, but you know, Cuba works. I think the the DR they tell on him. Cuba. Now, see, yeah. if he goes to one of the ones that where there is too much tourists, and of course they'll tell on him. But he back in the you know in the jungle in the in the you know in the cut somewhere, <laughs> living la vida loca. <laughs> All right, let me get out of here before I don't get out of here. All right, right, then we'll be here all day. (laughs) You have a good one. You too. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yo, uh, that was just so, 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 so phenomenal. Um, And truly, truly appreciate Dr. O. Um, And if you need anything and you are in Atlanta or Georgia or you just want to drive down there and talk to somebody, Please look her up. Uh, check out the show. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and all that shit. Uh, anyway, man, this has been another episode of Intellectually Petty Radio. I am Jobs, and y'all have a good one. I'm out.